You're listening to a Bespoken Media production. Hello, welcome back to Interface. This is a monthly podcast, especially for education professionals all about the digital world. If you're an educator, we're here to help you support the children and young people around you. So you can play a part in keeping them safe, confident and happy in all that they do online. Young people face a variety of issues from climate change and eco-anxiety, period poverty, sexual harassment, to racial profiling and homophobic bullying. But this episode is actually all about activism and campaigning online, which can provide a way for young people to get involved with their communities and have important conversations. We'll give you tips on how you can support young people to run campaigns on issues they care about. So we're delighted to have the wonderful Gina Martin with us on this episode of Interface. Gina, welcome to the podcast. Really, really looking forward to chatting to you and I know Ailish is as well. I think I think the best place to start is just to give a, a bit of a summary about who you are and what kind of work you've done in campaigning and activism. Yeah, of course. I would describe myself and I do describe myself as a gender equality activist, speaker and writer. And I work at the intersection of gender, misogyny and sexual violence. So if it's around those three things, you'll usually see me there. I launched a national campaign um, and effectively worked in Parliament just in my spare time and with a legal firm to change the law, change the Sexual Offences Act to make upskirting a specific sexual offence. And then after that, I did some campaigning um, with Naomi Nicholas-Williams to change global Instagram policy, a discriminatory policy that they, or discriminatory language in their policy that was censoring plus-size black women. And since then, I've moved much more towards writing, hosting workshops, hosting sessions, facilitating, and I'm much more happy in this space because I don't have to spend lots of time with politicians. I, th- I think, we, uh, having met a few in my time, I, th- I can agree with that one. Um, and I, I know, I know, you've talked about your story before in the past uh, to, to other people and stuff. If it's not too personal, a question: what what led you down this path? Misogyny led me down this path. Um, experiences of being a girl in the world led me down this path. I was 25, I think, and I'd been working in advertising for about six years. I came out of uni and went straight into advertising. In 2017, I was at a festival called British Sometime, and a group of guys were hitting on me and my sister, and I caught them, essentially. I caught them after they'd upskirted me, so I saw one of the guys on his phone and he had these really well taken close-up photos of my crotch up under my skirt and I confronted them and with the help of some other crowd members was able to get away and get to the security who then called the police and the reaction that I was met with from the police was essentially like there's not a lot we can do like it's not a graphic image they actually said to me, if you'd chosen to not to wear knickers, we might be able to do something, but you are, so we can't. And it was just like really handled terribly. And I was a mess. I mean, I just got in a fight with this like six foot four guy and then he chased me. I had the phone, which I took from him with the photos on. I had the guy, I handed him into the police and, and the reaction was just absolutely pitiful. Um, and only three months before I was upskirted, I'd had a between one and two year stalking case that had ended in nothing. And the police had essentially 
struggled all the way through to understand the impact on me and I even just even understand the way that he was stalking me because he was using social media and then they gave it to CPS and CPS dropped it straight away so that was two things that happened to me as a girl in the world or a young woman in the world and like there was a there was a list a lot longer list of things I put to the back of my mind and tried to ignore and when I was upskirted I sort of snapped and went home and researched upskirting and what it was and just found that it was this dark insidious corner of porn culture which was non-consensual which was disgusting and essentially found out that it wasn't a sexual offence in England and Wales but it had been in Scotland for almost a decade and decided to try and go as far as I could to change that myself and with a you know a lawyer and you know after a lot of work both politically media strategy just like campaigning and working with lobbying and working with victims and survivors groups and working with politicians and ministers. And we eventually changed the law in April 2019 and made up skirting a specific sexual offence. So that's probably, that's where I went from working in an office to having a platform after I changed the law and continued to campaign since then and work as a gender equality activist in lots of different ways since then. How did you, obviously, after all these like horrible events, which for me personally, hit very close to home, kind of just little aggressions that you just can find like day-to-day life that you start getting fed up with. How did you turn that into, I'm going to start campaigning, I'm going to start being an activist and doing this the proper route? Like, I wouldn't know where to start with that. Like, I I don't know who I would talk to. What was it like social media started first or did you go straight to like the political side or were you literally just like crying out like, someone anyone interested in helping me because I I would have no idea where to start yeah I mean firstly I didn't have any idea where to start okay but and I didn't think I'm gonna campaign I'm gonna be an activist because I didn't actually know what that meant at that point I think we had this idea that people like arrive at this work like a hero who's gonna take up a massive cause and put their fist in the air and they're like I'm gonna smash the patriarchy and that's actually not how this stuff happens like 99% of the time what that actually looked like was me working in an office job and this thing happening and being really angry and doing what I do with everything, which is just talk about it openly because I don't know how else to deal with things. Some people hold things in. I'm not that person. Like I have to talk about things very loudly because the only way I can kind of pick apart things and figure out how I feel about them, what they mean in the bigger picture is to talk. And so the first thing I did, I think, was I posted on Facebook this picture of me and my sister at the festival. We'd taken a selfie and these guys were in the background of the picture. And that night after this had happened to me, I was like, oh, my God, I think I have a picture of them. So I put this photo on Facebook being like, share this everywhere. Let's make this go viral. Let's try and recognize these guys. And it went a little bit viral. Probably had like 2,000 shares, like 5,000 likes something. And Facebook took it down for being harassment against the guys so they I was harassing them by showing a photo of them but the police wouldn't do anything for them harassing me by literally sexually assaulting me so that was like a second level of anger it was like okay so this has failed me this safety net's failed me this system is failing me now I'll just use the democracy of the online space Mm. okay now that's failing me (laughs) and instead of like getting smaller I just got like so violently angry about it and decided that I I would essentially keep shouting about it in some way. So then after that got taken down, I 
started looking into upskirting what it was and I found that it was this, like I say, non-consensual corner of the of porn. And I was like, okay, I have a democratic voice. I have a laptop. I have, I have skills of some description. So like, is there something I can do here? And I just contacted yeah. a friend who was a law student and said like, is this illegal? Yeah. And it wasn't even me thinking like, oh, I should start a campaign. It was me thinking, if it's legal, I'll go to the police and say, this is illegal. You should have done something here. And she said, I said to her, I've done some research. I mm-hmm. think I found that it's it's not a specific yeah. sexual offence, but I, I've got no political legal background. I was just arty in school. Like I wasn't academic in school. I really struggled in school. Um, and she said, no, you're right. Like it, it, you can prosecute it with the old common law in some instances, but there's a list of things you have to satisfy. So like three people have to see it. Mm-hmm. There's a whole different like list of things. And so in lots of instances, it, it isn't, you can't prosecute with it. And ultimately, that language doesn't exist in law. We don't have the word upskirting in law. It doesn't exist. So then I was like, okay. So then I started talking about that online. And then it took about a week until I started getting messages from other women and children saying, this happened to me at school. I'm a teacher. This has happened to me. My students have done it. I'm 98 and this happened to me at the supermarket. I'm a trans woman and this has happened to me because people are obsessed with my genitals. I'm, I'm 10 and this happened to me you know, a male student did it to me. And then I was like, oh my God, there's this thing happening. And I have it in my hand. I have like the ability to do something here. And I, I don't know what that's going to look like. So I sat down and was like, I'm just going to do what I do in advertising, which is take all the skills for selling a product and apply those skills to getting people to listen to this problem we have, which is why isn't upskirting a sexual offense? At no point thought I'd be changing a law to make it one. And then as that continued about a month into doing social media strategy, then giving that to producers for TV because they saw the numbers on the social and they were like, oh, people are interested in it. Then I was like, hang on, I'm on this morning. I think I should, well, I think I should do more than just say this is happening because I think if my DMs are anything to go by, thousands of women and girls and people know this is happening because it's happening to them. How could I take this further? So then I'd start a media campaign. Thought if this media campaign is really impressive, I can take that to a law firm and then it'll be in the public interest. So they'll be like, we want to be the ones that solve this because everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where it started. But as I tell that story to you only to say like, (laughs) it's messy and stuttered and confusing. And I literally Googled like, how do you change a law? And nothing came up. And at every stage, believing up until about six months in, this isn't going to be a law change thing. This is just Mm -hmm. going to be something I try and do because I'm angry and I have to be in motion because if I'm not in motion, I'm just scared sitting here like a sitting dog waiting for something like this to happen to me again. And then I'll lie in bed and cry about it and be like, I wish I'd done these things. So it's like, I just have to do something now because I'm just losing my mind how much stuff this, how much this kind of societal system is just messing with me. And I don't have any ability and power because the systems or the support systems that are meant to be support systems don't engage. It, it does It does feel, feel crazy, doesn't it? When, when you tell your story and you talk about the response from the police, you talk about the response from the legal system, It everything seems back to front doesn't it it seems like the base systems that should be set up to to protect all of us to support us when when things that are not okay happen just just didn't work and then even when you got it in front of the policy makers you still met resistance didn't you yeah absolutely and I think what you've said there about it this feeling crazy and feeling backwards is exactly my perspective when it happened and it's it's only since being a gender equality activist that and now I look back and I go oh, that's exactly how those systems are meant to work. That's how they work. It's only now that I realise that, like Poet Guante says, like about white supremacy, 
It's not the shark, it's the water. Misogyny isn't the shark, it's the water we live in. It's in every single institution. We are all corrupted by it. And so now I understand why these things are happening all the time. Like why victims and survivors have been organising and chatting about this for like 100 years because it's just not getting better. But the resistance in Parliament, yes, I had a I had a private member's bill. Me and my lawyer, Ryan, had tabled a private member's bill eventually with an MP called We're a Hobhouse. And we heard that a backbench Conservative MP called Christopher Choke was planning to re- reject it. And the process is such that we have 650 MPs in the UK, right? And like 649 can agree in principle to something. So that's to say, personally, they agree. But if, you know, 649 agree in principle and one doesn't, they can essentially reject that bill. We knew that was going to happen. So our job was to get the public as ramped up and excited about this passing as possible so that when it didn't pass, they were frustrated. And that's how fragile it is to get laws passed. So yeah, there's resistance at every stage, but like it was my job to turn public momentum into political momentum and to put policymakers and decision makers in an unsustainable situation where they had to make a decision because it looked bad, because the optics were bad. And ultimately politics is about optics and you have to play the game because politicians are definitely going to play the game with you too. For a young person, like if I was met with this and I tried to put a bill forward and it just got rejected like that, like what would you tell me or like someone in high school who's trying to like do something meaningful like this bill? How how would you like motivate them like come back from the rejection like that there's the question of like emotionally right like how do you keep going is a question of emotion is a question of like purpose like how do you actually as a person how do I keep getting up when this is like going wrong you have to be resourced up you have to have chosen something that has happened to you or that you're best placed to change because there will be a fire in you to change it that will not happen if you pick something because you want to be seen to be the one changing it you have to have the right people around you all the time, so that when you were crying and you have been four hours, which was me all the time, you have family and friends who will re-resource you. I had a really good team around me, similarly. So, like, the practical question of, like, how do you then combat that when it's been rejected or how do you get to the next bit? Our job as, as campaigners, me and Ryan, was to know what could happen at any stage and to have a plan for what happened if that could happen so our motto was always two steps ahead of everything so that you're going to put actions in place on the monday that if something goes down on the thursday those actions on the monday are going to be something you can use on friday that was our job all the time and so then you're not left in a place where you're like essentially you know stepping on stepping stones and then getting and realizing there's not a fourth stepping stone Well, because you know that, because you put it down two days ago, because that was the plan, right? So when someone messes you up, you have these, like, sneaky little things you can do that you can leverage. Um, And another one of those is we had relationships with the minister at the time, the Justice Minister, Lucy Fraser. We built and nurtured that relationship so that if this went wrong, and she knew that he was going to do this, and built an army of MPs in every political party so it didn't become like a Labour issue or a Conservative issue. It was just like a human issue that needed to be solved. So when we went in, when he rejected, we went in to meet with ministers and were like, it happened. This is what we propose you do next. So yeah, being being ahead ahead and being prepared and knowing what's going to happen next and having a plan, that's how you combat that really hard stuff. But it's really tricky and exhausting. I was going to say, is that not just absolutely exhausting? Just 
constantly on edge for like a year and a half, not knowing if it's going to pass, if it's all going to be worth it. How do you like protect yourself essentially? Honestly, like I wish I could be, I could give you some golden nuggets, but I didn't. When I look back at 2017, 2019, which is like the main years I was campaigning on that particular campaign, there's one thing that's very clear that I wasn't doing well is that I have absolutely no memory of anything almost. And I've been in therapy for like three years now. And it's become very clear that the reason I have no memory of 2017, 2019 is because I was just on, my nervous system was so high. I was so terrified. I was, there was so much momentum. I was, I was in a fear state all the time because like you say, I was getting the like rape threats for two years and horrendous online abuse. And I didn't look after myself and I didn't go to therapy through it. And I didn't take enough breaks. If I could give myself advice, like if I could see myself doing it now and give myself advice, it would be like, okay, the strategy is all good. The media is all good. You're going to finish it. What you want to finish right now and what you think is the biggest thing you can achieve right now, you will finish that. But it's going to take two and a half years. And if you go through those two and a half years without consistent mental health support in the form of a therapist, without consistent breaks, without massive limits on how much you use your phone. And I don't say that to be like, get off your phone at dinner time. I mean, like, I, it, the effect it had on me, so bad because I was getting abused so much on it. Um, it's not cool to reply to them with jokes. It's not cool to be like, I'm way above it. I'm commit the perfect victim. Look how cool I am. Or in our reply, oh my God, I'll police him. I'll knock him down. Like, no, don't, don't look at it. Don't look at any of it. I would definitely tell myself that. And I reckon I would be in a much less anxious and healthier place as a person now if I'd taken those steps then for sure this is interface a podcast for educators about digital and online life from the southwest grid for learning we'll be back with our excellent guest in just a minute the interface podcast is all about keeping children young people and education communities safe happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is POSH, the Professionals Online Safety Helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call. Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying. Also, take a look at our 360-degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive, whole-school approach to online safety. There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available, and it's free free is always good and you're right jess it is a lot and i appreciate it's a lot for you to take in listening like this so don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are you can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk and you can also find us on twitter and instagram with the handle at swgfl underscore official also we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the interface series that you'll find in your podcast player Thanks for sticking with us. This is Ailish Hunter and Gareth Court. Do you think that the online tech companies and platforms need need to do more about this then? Because, you know, you said because because you became high profile, because you were campaigning for something that was high profile, along with that then came 
obviously some messages of support, but obviously a whole load of, of rape threats, of abuse, of, of all the really horrible, nasty stuff. Do you think there should be more done to curb that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been, I have a direct, you know, relationship with Instagram and um, that's, you know, why in 2020 I was fighting to change their policy because it's just that the platform doesn't exist to protect people who, especially marginalized people, but people, yeah, people who are marginalized for their identity and then people who are fighting for something that's against the status quo, like it doesn't protect them. It's not profitable for them to protect us ultimately. They've done a couple of things recently that I actually have to give them props for. And I don't think I've ever been able to say that before, which is that they've changed, they piloted something that will essentially get rid of digital flashing. So no one can now send you a message that doesn't, someone who doesn't follow you can't send you a message with a picture or video. And if they want to talk to you, they have to send you one message. That's only text-based. You have to accept it. Yeah, you have to consent to a conversation with them now. Yeah. In in any form. Mm -hmm. And I could have done with that for the last seven years. So there's, there's developments happening. But no, I think there's way more that they should do. I know women who receive pictures of nooses every day. Like I know women who are abused on social media and it has turned into real life danger for them continuously it's just not enough is being done you're right not enough is being done it's it's an interesting one isn't it and the the forthcoming online safety bill which is going to cover things like as you mentioned cyber flashing which Mm. you you hear about you think that should be a crime already you know why is that not a crime and and that's obviously bringing that in but then also things like the the threat to share someone else's sexual images or intimate images you know the fact that we've got to create a law around threatening to do that you know there's already a law in place if you actually do do that in fact we have to create a law about threatening to do that i guess maybe speaks to bigger bigger problems that clearly are going on in society and what what advice could you give to teachers about grassroots activism that maybe their students could get immediately involved in without having to think they've got to they've got to change everything in the world all at once yeah well i mean i would just offer the advice that like being active in this way is a muscle right so like even though the law change was the thing I was known for. Like I can chart back through my advertising career and like like a bunch of other small campaigns I did that I didn't realize were campaigns. Um, so you have to start with something that's manageable because A, you'll be able to finish it and you'll also not lose yourself in the process. And I completely lost myself in the process of what I tried to finish. Um, there's no way to engagingly say that the relationships we have in our community and being able to change those is the greatest, most fundamental form of activism that literally will change society. It's such a boring thing to hear someone say, but it's so true. Like, I've been in rooms with 17-year-old young men who have walked into a room and been harmful to someone and have walked out of a room after crying about what's happening in their life and having conversations and doing exercises and spending hours on picking something, they've walked out of that room feeling seen for the first time and therefore their intent to potentially harm someone in the way they did when they walked out the room is, has been reduced. I've seen young people talk about teachers they had that completely changed the trajectory of their life just because of the way the teacher treated them in moments where they felt rejected and othered by people in their class and we never give enough weight to these kinds of dynamics or these kinds of relationships. It's like, cause we can't track them and because they don't make us money, therefore we don't really look at that as a form of activism. But the people that do the work that I'm the most interested in are the people that are 
questioning our culture, questioning the way that we relate to each other and creating spaces in which people are not there to get their answer right, but are there to explore who they are. What the hell is all this about? Like, where do I sit? Like, what do I actually care about? What privilege do I have? And how am I using that over other people? And like, how do I feel harmed? And how can I, like that kind of stuff beyond equality do, you know, masculinities workshops that are phenomenal. Like tomorrow man here, do the same thing. You know, Richie Reseda is running a, or did run a, um, anti-patriarchy workshop in prisons with incarcerated men who had caused serious harm and many of them are now out running the most prolific community programs to change people's lives in America so like our capacity to grow and our capacity to cause less harm is a form of activism that I really wish all of us would see as something we can do teachers have a a they're very overworked and underpaid and I just want to say that really loudly because I think as soon as they hear someone be like hey you know what you could do they're like do you know what I have on more I I imagine every teacher's probably nodding along right at this second yeah oh my god they're so underappreciated it is oh god like I just want to go to parliament and be like do you know what these guys are going up with but um they have such an opportunity with the young people in their classrooms and to not see them as students, but to see them as individuals and understand the context in which those young people are coming into their classrooms and to be able to imbue in those young people the skill of not only answering the question right, because that's what school teaches us, that's what a curriculum teaches us, but being able to critically analyse big questions about the world and themselves. And good teachers are brilliant at doing that. And ultimately, like every young person can tomorrow take something they're really angry about that's happened to them because that's the stuff we should be working on. We should be tapping into our anger and not being ashamed of it. And the skill set they have and putting those two together and starting there because we all have a skill, whether it's drawing or maths or speaking or like baking or sport or being a hype guy and riling people up and getting people excited. Like we all have a skill and we all have a thing we're really angry about. And there's a way to start this work, activism, by putting those two together. And it doesn't look like a campaign. It just looks like people doing things because they're the right thing to do. That's what activism ultimately is. I always just assumed activism is, like, going to a protest, having, like, one voice, like, speaking for all on a certain subject. I never actually contemplated it's actually coming together. It's the group thought. It's the questioning. It's all these little things that everyone can do. And it's actually not easier but it's a lot simpler than you realize it's not like you don't have to start like a hashtag to get this going like you can you can start just as a community as friends as like a conversation with the teacher and between your peers I never actually thought of activism like that and that actually makes it a lot less intimidating to think about now yeah good there's millions of activists we don't even know about who have genuinely shifted culture and they've done that through conversations they've done that through their immediate sphere of influence. Mm. So like, what rooms am I in? What positions do I hold? What skills do I have? Like, those are the questions. And activism just means being active. So like, as long as we can allow people to see it as something that's actually doable, it's not changing the law. (laughs) Like, that's one form of it. But that's the beautiful thing about activism, right? Is it's just the fundamental act of being human and courageous and trying to change something. And that has, that looks as many different ways as people do. Like, there's, there's a million ways to do it. And, and you know, what better place than to do so much of that at school, right? School's the place where we should be having these kind of discussions. Exactly right. And, yeah, you, you were talking about emotions earlier, and I think it's really important that 
we kind of acknowledge the fact that that we sometimes need to talk about emotions and that there aren't any wrong emotions and it's fine to be angry about something when something's wrong yes it's a very normal reaction yeah it's a very normal reaction to society to be angry about the things that have happened to you or have happened to other people and certainly a campaign doesn't work if it's just objectivity and facts there needs to be emotion there needs to be something to stir people to act yeah no no it's about people it's about feeling no i looked in your in your ted talk when you had all the the horrible online abuse but you said now imagine this is your sister, your daughter, your mum, someone you know personally. And then mm-hmm. it's horrible to think that that's where it gets across to people that they go, oh, maybe this is an issue. If like someone did this to like my best friend or my sister. But like, no. I guess it is good to kind of twist that in a way and be like, well, do you want this to happen to someone you know? No. So like, let's do something about it. But also, why did you not want to change this before? I know. I think if we cared about things that didn't affect us, we'd be really far far way along on these kinds of issues and like I struggle with that as a as an activist and a writer is like do I say the thing that I know will work or do I say the thing that I believe should work which is this shouldn't have to happen to your daughter for you to see this is a problem in the same way as you know often men will message me and say oh I've just had a daughter and it's really changed the way I'm seeing the world and I'm really thankful for your work and I'll always be really like I totally appreciate that and I'm really glad you're here and there's always space for you here and I have to, I can't turn off the thing in my mind that says, why did it take you to be in proximity to a woman to then care? Because women are already people and like we already needed you before you had the daughter, but I'm so glad you're here. So it's like finding the way to communicate that and frame it for people, but not like coddle them for, you know what I mean? Like to can challenge them with that if you can, I guess. In in my cunning attempt at a segue, then that this is some of the things you explore in in your new book, isn't it? Of how you challenge some of those mindsets that exist in society and in people. Would you like to tell us a bit more about, about your book? Yes. So, no offense, but is out now, and it's effectively well, it came from the idea that like for seven years campaigning, I've had DMs from people saying, "How do you respond to this thing?" Because I just get so emotional, just like I was just saying, just can't get a constructive thought out because there's too much emotion behind it. So I took 10 of the most common phrases that I hear, um, everything from not all men to if you don't want attention, cover up to you can't say anything nowadays to some more nuanced and difficult ones that I want to uh, cover. And I offer an insight into my experience with those phrases when they've come at me and how they've made me feel and where they've cropped up and why I think they've been said. And then I explore the impact they have on culture, the impact they have to the person you're saying it to and how you can start to think of framing a response we have 10 other writers and they're writing on phrases you'll hear all the time, like from I don't see colour to trans kids are being forced to transition to like all of these really divisive, uh, kind of culture war harmful phrases we're hearing around all different types of um, isms, essentially. And then there's a couple of nuanced ones in there that I really wanted to, to use to uh, explore as well. But the whole point of the book is essentially you should be able to go to a chapter where you hear this in your life. You should be able to read the chapter. And although it won't give you an A to Z on exactly how to respond, because every conversation is different, there's so much context and so much baggage that's coming to it, you should be able to finish being like, I have more confidence that I could. Or I've got a framing now that I think could work, some facts, some stats, some ways of looking at this. Why are they saying it? That I can engage in a constructive way and I can try to show up daily on these types of topics. Because ultimately, I think that, community and the audience that will be buying my books are people who should be 
disrupting their uncle when he says, I don't see colour, or should be disrupting the person at the dinner at the lunch table who is saying not all men, because we have access to those types of phrases. And so those conversations go a long way in changing culture if lots of us are having them. Amazing stuff. Really look forward to reading it. And I, th- I think there's a lot I'm going to be able to learn from that one as well, definitely. Um, and, and teach my teenage daughters, actually, because they uh, we've had a few discussions about some of those phrases that have popped up in their lives sometimes as well. Oh, I can't wait to use this with my dad. I'm going to be like, read Yay! this book, read this with me. <laughs> yeah, and that's the great thing. You can pass the book along, right? You can say, like, this conversation was really emotional. I'm really sorry it got really heated. I just need you to read this chapter. <laughs> like I created it so you can physically be like hey can you read this that's amazing mm. fantastic thank you very much Gina for joining us today in this conversation it's been really interesting to chat to you and get your insight on a lot of really important topics around activism and campaigning thank you so much for having me So you can check out Gina's books, We Have No Offence, but as well as Be The Change, which is a toolkit for activism and both are great resources. So Gareth, what did we think of that? A heavy, heavy discussion, wasn't it? And uh, obviously Gina's first-hand experience is really, really sometimes difficult to listen to and you can understand how upsetting it was to her. But I think a great thing that can help us think about activism and, and how we can support young people. I think that that is probably the first place to start is that from Gina's own experiences, if you are involved in activism, if you front some kind of campaign, if you are trying to make a big change, then there are risks around that. Oh, definitely. Um, there are people who are not going to agree with you and there are people who are going to say some quite horrible things to you. So I think that's the first thing as an educator, if you've got young people who who want to get involved in campaigning and be a- activists, if you want to do it yourself as an adult, you need to be aware that there are risks that you need to manage. And one of the best ways of managing that, as Gina mentioned, was having that support system around you, having people to help you, having people keeping you in the right direction, but also having people looking out for your health and your well-being, as well as looking out for it yourself as well. Uh, what did you think, Ailey? Um, I quite liked how it starts in school, basically. I found that I didn't realise how easy and everyday activism kind of you can do and it does start in school it starts with your peers around you in your social sphere and how you can start questioning things and teachers can encourage this behavior especially on how you how you analyze and evaluate certain things in your life that maybe you don't agree with so I think being in the school setting definitely helps and it's a good starting point for a lot of young people to get into activism and campaigning yeah definitely I, and it sounded like so many of the skills that you know we just promote and, and teach throughout different subjects in school about critical thinking about you know thinking about things about gathering information about questioning different perspectives is you know it's fundamental to all of this so I think a lot of teachers are probably doing a lot of the groundwork for mm. activism already without always realizing and I guess a, a third takeaway really from this episode is that social media can be a great tool yes we heard about Gina's experiences when it wasn't so great and the horrible abuse that she suffered unfortunately when her campaign was high profile but also the fact that social media was a way of people being able to reach her directly with their experiences which I think only fueled her further and was a fantastic way of getting that message out there, wasn't it, to a much wider audience? Yeah, definitely. I think it's quite a good tool for a lot of young people to look into a bit more and how to use it in a more productive way rather than just posting photos on Instagram. Even the fact that, you know, it was the very tool that, that facilitated the, the abuse that Gina got 
it's clear that there are some commitments and there is some change happening in the big online platforms towards their approach to different types of content and different types of behavior. And I think, I think although that's slow, I think that's a really good thing. So hopefully we'll, we'll keep seeing that continue as well. Well, I really hope this episode of Interface has been useful. Thanks so much for being with us. You will always find links in the show notes of these episodes to learn more about each topic. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app so episodes are automatically downloaded to your device when they are released. And we need your help. Please recommend us to a friend or fellow teacher who you think would enjoy this podcast. And you can find us on social media at SWGFL underscore official on both Twitter and Instagram. Interface is a podcast series from SWGFL, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre. This is Ailish Hunter with Gareth Court. Interface is produced by Karis Wall with the sound design by Joel Cox and original music from Alex Fraser. It's a bespoken media production. <laughs>